Pickaxe. Hello, I'm Wheels, the Dungeon Master for Storybreakers. Love critical role in movies like Hot Fuzz and Spotlight? Actual play series Storybreakers combines the fantasy adventure of Dungeons & Dragons with small-town comedy and mystery in an episodic tale of journalists on the hunt for the secret underbelly of a tiny town where nothing seems to happen. But excuse me if I don't think a bunch of ragtag journalists from a podunk town are actually going to be of any help. But technically, I don't come from here. When the mysterious arrival of a celebrity from the Heroes and Adventurers Guild sets off a strange conspiracy, the group will have to leave what they think they know about the world at the door, if they're ever to unravel the truth at the heart of this seemingly nondescript town. It's not front page of the Sasai Star I pull up the, the today's, like, installment of the news to see what the front page actually is. There's a big picture of a pumpkin that's been stepped on, and it says, Outrage as pumpkin stepped on. <laughs> Storybreaker Season 1 in its entirety is available for listening right now wherever you get your podcasts. With Season 2 on the way. Find out more at Dicebreaker.com. How's it going, man? Uh, uh, it's going good. It's going good. I, uh, I actually haven't done one of these Discord calls like this in a while. So, Okay, perfect. Now we're good. Can you just uh, start off by telling us a little bit? First of all, thanks for coming on stream today. Um, mm. and, and can you just tell? So I, I understand that actually you have a fair number of fans in our chat already. Um, oh, that's cool. The, yeah. Um, but for the people who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. My name is uh, my name is Ab Atlas. I'm um, a YouTuber, uh, as a lot of people know me. And uh, yeah, 30 years old. I essentially do commentary or comedy-related videos. I also work as a full-time stand-up comedian, well, before this pandemic anyways. Wow. And uh, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the gist of it, really. That's cool. So you do stand up and, and you, you said you do like commentary videos. Yeah. So we'll just, uh, you know, talk about things that may be happening in the political sphere or just uh, social commentary, or sometimes we'll just, uh, you know, just talk about anything really dating. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, is there something, can you just tell us where people can find you? Like what your YouTube channel is? Yeah. If they just go on, on YouTube and they put, uh, ABBA and, and, preach like preaching and abbots with one b so you don't have to make the dancing queen references but uh <laughs> yeah yeah one b then yeah. you'll be able to find us yeah yeah um cool that's awesome man and so is there something in particular you wanted to talk about today or something that i can help you with yeah um essentially i guess the focal points is like the two things i really was hoping to cover was uh, was mentorship and um lost of loved ones and so oh, wow. those two things can overlap a little bit, but, uh, but yeah. Oh, that's actually sad if those overlap. Oh uh, yeah. Generally. <laughs> um, which one do you want to start with? Uh, we can start with loss of loved one. Um, I suppose my question centers around the idea that is the loss of, you know, how they, they often say like time heals all wounds. Mm -hmm. I, I, I question whether or not, that's true for all things. And when is it not true? Uh, sure. And so, yeah, that's my question. Yeah. So um, I think you have an answer that you suspect already. So what's your answer? Um, I guess it depends on how you handle the wound, I suppose. <laughs> well said. And I'd, okay. I'd say the same thing. So mm. I, I think, Abbott, you know, sometimes people come on here with questions and they expect me to give them answers. But I think it's it's maybe not questions I have so much as it is like I feel like sometimes I'm too close to the problem and as a result like you know when you put your hand right in front of your face it's blurry 
Yep. I, I feel like I can't find a way to get enough distance to get some decent perspective. So I think it's just um, finding a space where I'm comfortable enough to allow somebody else to be my eyes to, to see the sure. problem where I can. I, I think that's a beautiful way to put what we do here. Mm. Um, because just to kind of clarify, I think you're the one who actually is going to have the answers. And it, it, we're just going to try to help you see what you already know and understand. And in short, I'd agree with you that I don't think time in and of itself heals all wounds. I think that some things, the way that we treat the wound, I think is exactly what I'd say. So some people, you know, the reason that time doesn't heal all wounds is because they dwell in the past. So it's never, they never really get time, mm -hmm. right? Like the past becomes the present and mm -hmm. yesterday you're living in yesterday today. Mm -hmm. And so you never really get time. Mm -hmm. um, and so learning how to do that can be hard for some people. It's not, you know. Some people it comes kind of naturally, but I, I think sometimes maybe it'll help. Can you just tell us a little bit about what happened in your case and, and maybe who you lost? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I lost my father when I was uh, 21. So that's about nine years, almost 10 years now. And um, I suppose the absence that was felt kind of never stopped being felt. And I would have interactions with people and I realized it was always going to be a tender spot for me. Which is why it's like it's traditionally a topic I avoid altogether, even with people that are very close to me. Hmm. Um, and I think just looking at that and recognizing that it's so tender after so long, I just um, kind of always had issues with it. Yeah. So let's start with this. What's tender about the subject for you? Um, just just knowing that the reality is still there, and there's nothing that be that can be done to 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 change that, and and the longing that I have for that absence you know, being filled or whatnot, or the, the person in question, um, it's just not going to go away. So I think just kind of always knowing that and, and knowing that can't be fixed. It's just like, well, you know, I accept that it's gone, but, or that, uh, that he's gone, but, um, but even though I accept it, it doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sucks, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Right. You know, I, I think it's interesting because we sort of I, 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 nowadays everyone talks about mindfulness and acceptance mm -hmm. and how acceptance is the way forward. Mm -hmm. And and what I'm hearing you say, Abba, is that, you know, you've accepted that your dad is, you know, gone, which is right. But it still hurts. Mm. And that's not what you were told. Mm -hmm. Right. That acceptance is supposed to make it feel better. Right. And that time is supposed to feel better, but it's not feeling better right can you tell me about your dad yeah um so me and my my father had a fairly complicated relationship uh, when i was young enough my parents ended up divorcing and then my my, my father moved back to um, ethiopia mm -hmm. and and so as a result there was like a separation period where i didn't see him much and then afterwards i was uh, um kind of my mom had to leave my mom's uh, place to go live with my dad for a number of years in Ethiopia. So that's where I like most of my childhood ended up happening. And then I got to spend time with him um, there. And um, me and my dad at the time still had a fairly tumultuous relationship because I think I had allegiances towards my mom. And so there was a bit of resentment built there from some of the stuff that she told me or just wanting to support her was a form of um, not supporting him. So we had sure. a lot of friction over time. Sounds like um, you were caught in the middle. Partially. I think I also 
put myself there to some, some degree. Well, I mean, how much can a child put themselves in that position? But as much as I can. Um, and looking back now as a grown-up, I think my dad did um, a commendable job to try to mend the bridge despite all of the, the friction that was there and to be patient and to be tolerant, which, you know, most would say is his job, so that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I was able to live with him for a time and he took care of things and um, I ended up moving back to Canada when I was around 15, 15, around that age. Uh, my last two years of high school. And um, as a result, I separated from my dad and was back to live with my mom. And at the time, I still harbored a lot of resentment towards him, obviously with the situation uh, involving him and my mother. So um, that kind of built up and kind of just remained. Uh, about four years went by, turned around 1920. Timeline's a little shoddy. You have to forgive me. Um, and I got a call from my mom saying my dad was in the hospital here in Canada, which was quite a shock to me because I hadn't heard from, from him in, in many, many years. And um, and then, yeah, it turned out he had, like, um, he had lung cancer, so he had a month to live. I mean, a month. I think it might have been two weeks, really. And, um, yeah, and he passed away after those two weeks had elapsed. You'd ask me okay. about my relationship with them, so I got a little bit lost there. You're going to have to forgive me. Yeah. Okay. Can I digest for a moment? Yeah, feel free. I'll take that time, too. Damn, dude, you are thoughtful. Was I? I was trying to just keep a straight timeline, so I kind of, I feel like I missed a lot of spots, but I'll take no, that I'm, compliment. No, I mean, that's, no, I, I think you're, you're thoughtful. Um, I also think uh, we're going to have to, so Abbott, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with kind of what we do, but so we're, we're going to do a couple of things. Okay. One is we're going to talk a little bit. I, I want to help you understand a little bit about how your mind works. Mm -hmm. And um, I want you to pay attention to this phrase that you've used a couple of times. You'll have to forgive me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So help me understand what you mean when you say that. Oh, I don't know if it's just a politeness thing, but uh, normally when someone asks you a question and you kind of wander off, uh, if you wander off the beaten path, uh, it's just traditional to kind of ask for forgiveness to get back on track if you make a mistake. I I completely agree. That's normally what it means. Okay. <laughs> and and so what I'm kind of curious about is, is, you know, there's a part of me that just wants to fire something off, which is that I'm totally fine forgiving you. Question okay. is, are you okay forgiving yourself? Um... I mean, I feel like I am. Okay. I don't think I'm, uh, I'm harboring any uh, kind of resentment towards myself in that regards. I don't okay. think so. Okay. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. So I just want you to pay attention to that, right? So I want you to pay attention to the part of you that is apologetic and pay attention to whether that is just a function of conversation and politeness because you were raised to be a good little boy. Mm-hmm. Or whether there's there's actually something underneath that which i have no idea because i met you like five minutes ago so this is like yeah. where so like right. like what i do is i don't i'm not going to give you answers abba what i'm going to do is like i'm gonna we're gonna you're gonna i'm gonna give you maybe like a path to go down and it's actually okay. your job to tell me whether you think there's something there or not mm. all okay? right um 
So on, on that note, I think if I couple that with the idea that I'm super reluctant to discuss whatever has happened to me with my dad to other people, maybe there's a sense of shame that I feel in regards to the tenderness I feel. And so when I'm talking about it and I feel lost, I feel maybe a, a certain sense of shame or um, disappoint in myself, I guess, for not being able to manage it better. Manage what? Um, just the pain, just the, just the, the, the abundance, I guess, of emotions that, that kind of surround the topic, you know? So like, if you ask me a straight question and I feel like I'm not able to do what I traditionally do, which is give you a straightforward answer, I feel like it's probably maybe linked to the problems I have with the topic. And so maybe that's why I'm apologizing potentially. Yep. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing there is that you're asking for forgiveness for not being what people expected you to be. Right? You're saying, I'm Part sorry I didn't give you what you asked for. Also what I expect to be, but fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah I think yeah, I those two, those two tend to go together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so... Can I ask a couple more questions? So that's so I, I may just point out like things to you and we'll see if I think there may be themes emerging here yeah, about sure. um let me just make a note of, you know, talking about pain when it comes up. But can I ask yeah. you a little bit more? So you said your parents got divorced when you were young. Do you understand? Can you help us understand? And by the way, anything that you don't want to answer is off limits. Okay. So totally yeah, no. cool. That's fine. Um and I know people say, Oh, I'm an open book, but like you get to close the book at any point you want. Right. You yes. don't have to hold yourself to you also don't have to apologize for closing the book. Yep. Um, you just you get to pull the plug at any point. So can you tell us a little bit about what your understanding is of why your parents got divorced? Oh, um, I don't think everything was, you know, of my family, uh, a lot of stuff shrouded in mystery and, and, and secrecy, unfortunately. Sure. Um, but from what I've been able to infer in the conversations I've had with siblings, essentially it's just, um, my father was tremendously unhappy. Um, part of that was his own selfishness. And I think part of that was also my mom's behavior, uh, which, uh, you know, hurts everyone as well. Um, so I, I surmised it's a mix of those two things. And wh why do you, what's your understanding of why your dad was tremendously unhappy? Um... Well, I mean, you know, my family's pretty well established uh, where we live at Ethiopia. They're very well respected, very well known, uh, without going into too much detail. And um, obviously, due to war and conflict, they left, had an arduous detour to get to Canada. Uh, but, you know, despite being in a first world country for a lot of people from places like Ethiopia or things like that, um, it's a very, very different lifestyle. They often miss their homeland. Um, and so I think just the quality of life wasn't great. And then also my mother's behavior, um, which could be very, it could be a lot to handle uh, at times. And so. What, what do you mean by that? What was a lot to handle? I think. Um, I think due to my mom's past, I think she has a very strong habit to project her unhappiness onto others. And uh, it comes out in bad ways, whether it be nagging, whether it be, um, you know, negative comments, whether it be, you know, just, you know, most forms of toxic behavior that you can imagine. And so sometimes that can come out and it can wear on people. 
um, around it. You know, I, 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 for me, there's a gap between nagging and toxic, most forms of toxic behavior. So, yeah. so I, I kind of think about one as like, you know, like a little bit annoying and, and another is like toxic. It depends on the frequency, you know, <laughs> when it's a, when it's a barrage, you know, okay. it's kind of like, uh, you know, doesn't and do what, a lot of damage, but it's constantly hitting. What, what should, <laughs> sure. Yeah. What should, what would she say or do? Can you give us an example? Um, I think it was just a constant reminder that things weren't done, that things weren't done well enough, that things could be better, that um, unhappy with this situation, constant complaints. Like, it just seemed like what was around her was never good enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I think everyone was partially to blame. And so you just constantly heard it. What would she, would she say that to you too? She would say that to me or in front of me or to my siblings or to my, to my father. So, so yeah. And would she sometimes say, like, would she think that you weren't doing good enough? Um, well, I had a weird experience. So I'm, 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 I'm the fourth child of seven. Okay. So I'm right smack dab in the middle. So I kind of was able to pass unnoticed <laughs> most of my life. Um, okay. so I would, I would hear it every now and then, but it, it was pretty rare. I think I heard it at, at, at specific points in my life, but not throughout it consistently, no. So it sounds like maybe your dad was unhappy and your mom was also unhappy and sort of blamed him for her unhappiness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, you said you had siblings. Can you tell me a little bit about your siblings? Um, yeah. Um, so there's um, three boys and uh, four girls. I'm the second oldest boy. Um two of them are from a different wife and so they're half siblings and uh, the rest are all from my mom mm. what would you like to know about my siblings um i'm not it's a good question um uh, i'm just you know or just tell me you know sometimes people things will pop out about them i i guess like what's yeah, your okay. what's your relationship with them like yeah yeah um i'm not actually close to most of my siblings um except for my older brother the rest of them i, I um I don't speak too much at all. Okay. If anything. Yeah. Yeah. So my older brother, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close with and We talk, you know, fairly regularly and, uh, the rest of my siblings is not so much. And what was right. your older brother's relationship with your dad? Like, um, he also had a fairly tumultuous relationship. I think we all as children kind of internalized that towards our, our dad, the living with our mom. So yeah. Yeah. He had a similar relationship with him. When yeah. you say internalized, what does that mean? Uh, just like uh, our mom's, our mom, our mother's opinion of our father, we'd internalized. Um, and what and was that opinion? Um, that he was unreliable, uh, that he was um, selfish, uh, and um, yeah, just generally just, just bad. Okay. Okay. And so you said they got divorced when you were how old? Probably say around three, four. Okay. And yeah. so you were in Canada for how many years before you moved to Ethiopia? Uh, probably like six, seven. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. so it sounds like your mom blamed your dad for a lot when you were kind of growing up. And can yeah. you help me understand, um, you know, once again, welcome to not answer anything, why you right. moved to Ethiopia at the age of six or seven? 
Oh, just uh, financials. Uh, I think my okay. mom was struggling a little bit with money. Uh, and so for her, it was just easier to kind of get her money together. And then, you know, instead of like renting and being struggling with the job, she was able to buy a house and then bring us back and have a legitimate home. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So, and then did you guys have a relationship? So it sounds like between three and six or seven or four, for like a period of three years, you didn't really see your dad much? No. And no, then no, what I didn't about, see him at all. I didn't and what did you... What did you, what happened when you moved back to Ethiopia? Well, I mean, it was kind of weird. You know, you don't see someone and they're, they're like, they're your, oh, that's your father. But you don't, you don't really um, mm -hmm. have any idea what they're like. And so you're kind of apprehensive at first. But as a child, you, you, you go where you're told. And um, yeah, it was, it was very like, it was like a weird transition where there was always a lot of distance, always a lot of like, who is this man? Um, and I think that kind of persisted for a long time. But over time. Um, I think I at least understood that he was reliable. Okay. And, and so yeah. what were your interactions with him like when you were like, you know, seven, eight, nine? I mean, they, they were the same that they were like when I was like 15. I think, I think I just went for him when I needed things. And, um, I think he knew not to push topics because I would probably shut down on him. And, um, he was just there if I absolutely needed it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Hmm. So I'm going to ask you, Abba, do you want, um, do you want me to share with you some thoughts or do you want me to ask you more questions? I have a bunch of questions, but I'm sort of, picking out a little bit of a theme um why don't we go with a couple more questions and then if that theme's still right. there then hit me perfect so you said that you, and then you started living with him when you said you were 15 or sorry like you lived with him or you were just back in ethiopia at some point i was back in ethiopia living with him so you were living with him between like seven and 15 okay yep and so it sounds like if you wanted something from him or you needed something from him, you would kind of, you guys would sort of interact, but I'm, I'm not getting a sense of a lot of like free flowing and natural father, son sort of interactions. Um, no, I, I wouldn't say that was there. I wouldn't say that was there, but there were times where I may have needed him to help me with something and um he would show up so i think that would probably be the closest thing but other than that he just provided and uh, made himself available when i needed it i think i just never grabbed the olive branch if you will <laughs> how do you feel about that mm. good question mm. i think looking back now i probably don't feel that great about it just knowing Yeah, I think just knowing you don't get that opportunity back, that part is unfortunate. But I think I forgive myself only because I understand that I was a child and I made the decisions I did then. But yeah, you know, just because you accept or you forgive yourself doesn't make it suck any less, right? So, yeah. Sure. Hmm. And what do you forgive yourself for? What I perceive to be the... I guess for, for, I imagine it must have been hard for him, right? Um, 
to want to be present in your child's life and your child constantly rejects you in a, in a roundabout way. And I imagine that must be difficult. Yeah. Okay. So you say, I mean, that's a big pile of self-forgiveness. Mm. Right, so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quite amazing if you've really forgiven yourself for constantly rejecting your dad. Mm. Yeah. And causing him a lot of hurt. Hmm. Begs the question, did I really forgive myself? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. So let me ask you, what's painful when you think or talk about your dad? Hmm. Okay. Well, when I was, when I was 19, I ended up joining the military. And it was at the height of like when people were going to Afghanistan and whatnot. So it was quite a lot of that going on. And, you know, I come from a Muslim family. And so obviously when I told my mom I was joining, she was quite disappointed and angry. And I think after that, we hadn't spoken on almost two years. But I remember going through basic training. And even though basic training is not the most difficult thing, um, it is a stressful thing for it was very stressful for me, mostly because of the fact that I was not used to this kind of environment where there was discipline and people looking over your shoulders and all these orders that you have to constantly file well, and like, you know, all these different tasks that I was just not competent at. I, I struggled quite a lot, to be honest with you. I, 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 I fixed, I righted the wrongs, you know, and, and, and got it, got it going eventually, probably by like my second month into basic. And, and then I was like really steady, but it was very difficult at first. And I remember... When you're in basic, you're kind of locked in a space with, with 60 other people who are your platoon mates, and you go through these rigorous training for, for that period. And I think what made it extra hard for me was during that period, I had nobody I could talk to when the day was stressful, right? Like people go to the pay phones to talk, and I just didn't have any kind of support system in that regards or people that could be like, hey, man, just keep pushing. And I managed to get through basic, and I did my... I was in the middle of my initial service when the call about my father came in. And I remember going to the hospital, having not seen the man in, in many, many years. And he was kind of frail looking. And yeah, I remember seeing him. And the first thing that he told me, again, this is after I hadn't spoken to family members in many years. The first thing he told me was that when he heard I had joined, um, Just give me a second. <laughs> All right. Yeah. The first thing he told me that is that, is that he was proud. And I think when I heard that, um, it was hard because I immediately had to, um, see.
I um. I um. I had to leave the room, just to. Just to find myself like a corn in the hospital. I just remember um. I just remember crying a lot, and I'd um called my best friend at the time and he'd never heard me like that and I didn't know what had overcome me at the time but I think looking back now I realized that um I think at the time I'd realized that despite never realizing it I'd always wanted to hear that it's not even about the military. I think <sighs> I think I always wanted to have that. And um yeah. I think that was the hard part. Yeah, it just hit me. I guess it was like a whole childhood of not having that, right? So I think that's what's hard about it. So, so yeah, that was tough for me. That's, that's kind of interesting, right? How tough it can be to get exactly what you need. Generally yeah. speaking, when I ask people, you know, if you get exactly what you need, would you consider that to be tough? Generally mm. speaking, people wouldn't say yes. Mm. I think it's because a lot of times people don't even realize what it is that they need. Yeah. I think I've just been functional and moving through life that way. And I think <clears throat> that moment kind of made me realize um, the absence and it kind of shone a light on, I think maybe just things that I didn't know I, I yearned for, you know, or things I convinced myself I didn't want. And, uh, yeah. So, Abba, yeah. I should ask you more questions, but I'm going to give you an answer at this point. I think the reason that you have trouble getting over the loss of your dad is because you lost, you lost him a long time before he passed away. Right. And he lost you a long time before he passed away. And so if all you're grieving is his death, you're missing out on a big part of, of what you need to mourn. Another thing that's um, um, maybe this ties in. I think over the last four or five years, we've had like a lot of success, and um, it's been very humbling to be able to connect with so many people, whether it be through stand up or um, through this YouTube stuff. And one of the many joys that I have now is to be able to like take care of the people around me. You know, there's something that's for me, extremely fulfilling about that aspect of my life. <clears throat> but oftentimes people ask me if I'm proud. And I always think back to the moments, and I feel like the reason why I often feel like I'm not proud 
because I think the one person that I wanted to showcase to that I could do it isn't around. You know, I felt like I was supposed to support my mother and then kind of prove to my dad that I could do it. And I think I just, I lost that opportunity in a way. I think that's the, uh, that's the, that's a bit of the hole that I feel. Sure. And the morning that I think doesn't stop, I think it's just, uh, you're right about having not been able to mourn everything else before that. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. So, Abbas, your dad proud of you? I think he, yeah, I, I think I think he was proud of me. I think, I guess I just wanted to show more, you know. You know, despite everything, my parents gave up a lot for us, and you know, there's a huge part of me that wants to be able to repay that. Partially for them, but I think also partially for myself. Mm -hmm. Show them that they don't have to worry. So I, I, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I take I take issue with many of the words that you choose. Mm. So you say he was proud of you. That's not the question I asked. I asked, is he proud of you? I mean, I think I used the word was just because, you know, man is dead. Yep. I know, and, and I'm sure for a lot of people, there's like the idea of afterlife where people live on through you. I personally don't subscribe to stuff like that. I mean, okay. maybe it, it, in a way, maybe their, their their lessons and their influence, you know, lives on through you. But I, I think, at the end of the day, I think there's very few things like the material presence for me personally. I'd agree. So I'd say even if you, I'm not talking about the afterlife. So I, I think okay. Abba, what, what we need to do is really understand what he was saying to you that day that he saw you in the hospital. Like, what do you think he was proud of? What I become? Who I was standing before so that's why I ask in the present tense, because I, I don't think he was proud of you just in that moment. He was proud of what you had become, and he was proud of what he knew you would be. Mm. Right? I think, I, I think he's proud of you. I mean, even if he's dead, I'm not talking about an afterlife or a soul or anything like that, although those thoughts and feelings can certainly be comforting. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm talking about is I, I think he saw the person, I mean, the person that you are today was what he got a glimpse of like nine years ago. Hmm. Right. And like, you know, like, I, I don't know. Do you have kids? No, no, well, no. There's something that honestly you may better understand if you, you know, choose to, or lucky or unlucky to have kids one day, maybe you'll understand that. Like you, you, you know what they're going to be. Right. And, and in that moment, there's a part of me that says that like, he wasn't talking about just that moment. He was talking about what had come before that moment and what was going to come after that moment. Mm. Why do you think it is that I'm unable to believe that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know excellent. why. Am, am I rejecting it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So, so that's a good question. It's the right question. <laughs>
Let me just think about whether I want to ask you. What do you reject about it? You know, you say parents know what their kids are going to become. I just never felt like anybody knew I was going to do any of this. And I'm not here to be like, oh, wow, look at everything. But I just... I can honestly say I don't think I've ever had anyone um, believe in me in that way. Well, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. that... I, I, know, I know my dad showed it in that moment, but I think prior to that, I just, I think I, I just had never seen it. And so maybe... Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that's, that's your answer. Right? So, like, let me, let me put some context around it. So, I, I think... The reason you can't believe it is because, you know, just the, the tiniest amount did so much for you and you just weren't used to that. You couldn't understand what that meant in that moment. Even now you're struggling to understand it. Mm -hmm. Why is it hard for you to accept it? Because it's new. It's like the first time you eat like a chili, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it, it takes some time to get used to things that are new to you. And what mm -hmm. I'm hearing from you is that you were starved. Like, I mean, like, seriously, bro, you got to mourn way more than his death. And mm -hmm. we'll get to other reasons. I mean, if you want really what's going on, I mean, I'll just like tell you, okay? Like, this is a shot in the dark. But I mean, I think the reason that you have trouble accepting it is because like, if you accept it, it changes a lot for you. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I mean, when you say things like, I went to him only when I needed him. I shut him down. I say, you were put in the middle. And then you respond with, because like a kid, it, it's funny because you even sort of notice this. I said like, so it sounds like you got caught in, in between your parents. And then your answer is, I put myself there. Right. And then you even catch yourself. And then you, like you say afterward, well, I, I guess you can't really put yourself there as a kid. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you understand that? Like, why would you say those statements back to back? And what I'm hearing from you is a lot of a lot of responsibility for a lot of these situations. I've forgiven myself for continuously rejecting my dad, for not taking the olive branch. And, mm -hmm. and what I hear in you, Abba, is like a war between what you understand to be true and what you feel. Which is that you can't really blame a kid, but I think you blame yourself. And I think when you talk about shame, like, why do people feel shame? Like, what, you know, where does shame come from? Mm -hmm. I think on some level, like, you also feel guilt, I guess. And I think the real problem is that, like, you've gotten very, very used to that feeling. You've sort of, like, built this version of yourself that's, like, positive in spite of that, but it's still a big part of who you are. And yeah. I think if you accept yeah. that your dad was proud of you, then, like, it's hard to blame yourself, which feels weird and uncomfortable. And there I, I fully admit I may lose you. But like there's something weird going on where I think like if, if you accept that your dad is proud of you, you have to let go of some of that pain. And I don't think you want to. I think mm. you like blaming yourself for mm. rejecting your dad. Mm. I did, I did, uh, it's did like you deserve it. Hmm. 
Yeah, I did partially come to the conclusion that I was holding on to all this stuff because I think it was part of my identity. Um, or that, hmm, I deserve it. So I'll ask in a different way, okay? It's going to be a stupid question, and I expect a stupid answer, but an honest one. Give me whatever's in your heart, and you don't have to answer. give me the right answer. For a guy who doesn't talk to his dad for four years or five years or six years, dad is dying of lung cancer. You walk in, he says, I'm proud of you. What does that guy deserve? Do you deserve to be happy? First word that came to mind was everything. I don't know. I feel like. In a, in a weird way, I feel like that moment kind of saved me. What did it save you from? I think it made me realize what problems I had going on inside. Maybe not to what degree. But I, I think I realized that something was really wrong. Something was really missing. And um, I think I sought it out in a lot of different places unknowingly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's why I said everything. I, I, just, it's a, it's a good I feel oddly answer. grateful. I feel grateful. Yeah. Oh, my dude. Because, you know, as terrible as it is to lose them that way, I think, like, imagine if I'd even have that. Yeah, but this is, this is complicated, dude, dude. So listen, look. So I'm with you. I'm glad you feel grateful. I think everything's the right answer. Blew me away, to be honest. I was envisioning something else, but now I'm going to share something else with you. So like, here's, here's what you have to mourn, right? Like, here's what you have to mourn is that you can be grateful that you're lucky, that you got what you needed. And at the end of the day, for a lot of your life, you did deserve everything, but you didn't have anyone to call in basic. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of this sadness comes from like, it really comes from loss, man. It comes from that you deserved everything, but you didn't get everything. All you got was barely enough. Huh. Mm. Yeah. I think I just accepted, even though I know it, it probably hurt me and, you know. Yeah, and, 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 and also shaped me. I think I've kind of accepted the the lack with which I was raised. You know, I think I've had to learn to forgive my mother for what she did. 
but yeah, I think when you speak of like, um, I, I just don't even, I recognize the absence of things that were in my childhood, but I think when I think about them, I'm like, it is what it is rather than. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. So yeah. this is going to sound kind of weird. Okay. It's completely counterintuitive and probably wrong, but yeah. just hear me out here. Right. So mourning is about loss. Right. Right. Yeah. And so here's the crazy thing. I think, Abba, you've got to accept less. And so, like, like, there's a part of me that says that, like, when you accept that you weren't given much, when you accept that you grew up without much, you're kind of, like, taking that loss away. Right? So, in a sense, in theory, what you're doing is accepting that there was a loss. But I think, mm. actually, if you really want to mourn, what you've got to do is reject it. Because you deserved everything. Like it's, it's just, it's shining through just in little, little bits. So like, if you deserved everything and that's your first answer, why on earth aren't you pissed? Why okay. on earth aren't you screaming to the heavens that this is unfair and this shouldn't happen like this? That like, my dad should have been proud of me for years and I should have had a relationship with him. And just when things were turning around, he was taken away from me. For I think for a few reasons. I think one... I think holding on to resentment and anger oftentimes uh, for me is just not led to good places. Um, okay. Violence in particular. I was a violent teenager, super okay. violent. Okay. And I think if it wasn't for the military, I probably would have landed myself in way more trouble. I think that's one reason why I don't want to hold on to it. Two, um, it's, I don't even know if forgiveness is possible if you don't fully go through the path that you mentioned, but I think I can't have any form of forgiveness if I hold on to that. And three, I can't change um, what has happened in the past. And so if I cannot change it and it only leads to me potentially engaging in destructive behavior and the inability to forgive those people around me, it stands to reason that I don't want to hold on to that idea of like, I reject and I'm angry because, you know, I am. To be fair, I, I probably, if I, if, I, if I wanted to go back there and really think back on it, I could probably resurface those experiences and find reasons to be angry and, and justified reasons. But I, I ask, what purpose does it serve if I can't get forgiveness and I can't get like a real sense of catharsis, at least not one that I can imagine? Yeah, so this is, okay, now I'm more confident. Because here's the thing, right? Like, so, so like, here's, here's what I'm hearing, Abba, is you're not letting yourself feel what you feel because it serves no point in your head. And you wonder why you're stuck. I think you, if, if, I, if, I, if I do the cost analysis benefit, I feel like there's more downsides than I could see potential upsides. I think I, just, I can't see you're, the... You're, the I completely agree with your cost analysis. Okay. And it's yeah. not how feelings work. If the reason that you can't stop mourning is because you're doing a cost analysis of the benefits and costs of mourning <laughs> and you choose not to do it, then no fucking wonder you're stuck. Uh, so right? my, question, my question is, how do you mourn? So like, you're familiar with this, these Kubler, the Kubler loss grief stages? This is like psychology 101. Yeah, yeah. Something about like denial and then... You know, denial like, and anger at the top. Yeah. And what you did, my dude, is skip right past those to, like, acceptance. And so, like, that's why you're stuck, bro. Mm. Right? You're afraid of your anger. But it's a part of you. It's a part of who you are. 
Like, there's a big difference between not telling yourself that shit is unfair and saying, like, okay, like, I, I should be grateful. I should be grateful that on his deathbed, my dad told me once in my life that he's proud of me. Like, what the fuck, bro? Like, I appreciate that. As someone who tries to, you know, get people to engender gratitude and feel, like, so much resent, like, people are, like, you know, burnt out, they're resentful about life. I'm with you. I don't think it's a good idea to hold on to resentment. But I think you, you got to pick it up from time to time so that you can put it where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you're the Dalai Lama, sure. <laughs> Like, you know, being grateful that your dad was like, like, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't be grateful for that moment. I'm not saying it isn't a powerful moment. I'm not saying it isn't a transformative moment, but I I think you, you're allowed to be angry and you're afraid of what's going to happen if you let yourself be angry. And that's exactly why you can't let the anger go. Mm -hmm. And I I think that there's a part of you. Yeah. I just don't, I wouldn't know how to channel it. Yeah. How do you, how do you channel that emotion in a constructive way? You know, like if you're a football player and you're aggressive and you got some aggression anchor, like maybe you channel it on the field, right? Like how would I channel those emotions into, I guess, something good, you know? Yeah. So I think that's, that's, what I that's, that's the problem is you don't channel it into something good. Okay. You don't channel it, right? You sit with it. Okay. Like, Abba, what you need to say to yourself is like, first of all, like, I think you got to get angry with yourself because I think you are anger, angry at yourself. Mm-hmm. I think I think you you blame yourself on some level, like understandably so. Mm-hmm. So I think you're halfway there. Like you're kind of saying, like I was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like my mom. Like there are all kinds of irrational thoughts, and this is the problem: is your thoughtful guy. Mm-hmm. It's your fucking problem. Mm-hmm. So like like let me just toss out a random chain of thinking to you, okay? Okay. So like. You know, if you were resentful to your, towards your dad, like, you don't blame yourself because you were a kid, right? And what do kids know? Right. And so he extended the olive branch, and the only time you ever, like, gave him the time of day is when you needed something from him. Like, holy shit, like, that's a bad way to interact with another human being. Yeah. And and you're yeah. a good dude. You're a thoughtful dude. So you're like, you, you've learned to forgive yourself for that. But then, like, there's there are other thoughts under there. Like, why was mm-hmm. I this way towards my dad? Why was I robbed of this opportunity? Because mm-hmm. of my mom. Mm-hmm. because she taught me this stuff because she brainwashed me and if it weren't for my mom if my mom was a different person maybe i would have had a different relationship for, with my dad mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that that's correct but what i'm saying is that like it feels healthy to me to think those thoughts and let yourself think those thoughts mm-hmm. to blame yourself to blame your mom to blame your dad to blame a god that you don't even believe in blame everything under the sun mm-hmm and then mm-hmm. accept. Mm-hmm. And then forgive. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what you need to do. Like, you're missing, like, this piece of, like, my God, man, you need to climb on top of a mountain and you need to scream about how unlucky you are. And then also recognize that you're blessed. Mm-hmm. Because this is what life is, man. Life is not either or. Right? Like, if you look at the yin-yang, there's a tiny black dot in the white's part, and there's a tiny white dot in the black part. hmm And so, like, should you be grateful? Like, w- was your dad proud of you? Like, absolutely. Mm. 
should you be fucking angry that you guys were just starting to build something and that you got robbed, dude? Mm. And that's not fair. Mm. And you shouldn't... Like, I, I respect you for accepting it, but there's a part of me that says, holy fuck, you shouldn't have to accept it. Mm. No one deserves a life where they have to accept what you have accepted. And that acknowledgement needs to be there, too. And I don't know if you do that part. No, I, I don't. So that's actually a rejection. Right? Like, what you're not accepting is that you shouldn't need to accept so much. And, like, like I, I get that you're, like, you're thoughtful and you're clearly resilient. And you're mm. clearly, like, forward thinking and you're about growth and moving forward so you the last thing you want to do is throw yourself a fucking pity party mm. like i would guess that you're it's very hard for you to throw yourself a pity party if not impossible i just think it's unproductive exactly right <laughs> and so then like yeah. here's here's a quick answer for you okay Abba? Yeah. if you're stuck with something just do the thing that you don't do that's fair. <laughs> right? I, th like I, think, I, I think the big reason why I didn't do it, I think, is part of what you hit on earlier, which is I think uh, I've kind of built my identity around it in some way or shape or form. Yeah. I think having that removed, I just couldn't imagine what that would be like. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I and I think that that's, that's fair, right? So, I think this is where, like, what, like what you need to do, Ab, is integrate, not separate. Hmm. And, like, that's what you're doing. It's like you're, you're figuring out, like, what's adaptive. And I think that's why it's hard for you, because it's been, like, adaptive to be this way. Like, you're amazing, dude. Went through basic training, YouTuber, comedian. You've mm. made something of yourself that your dad would be proud of. And I'm not trying mm. to get you to cry again. I'm just saying, like, objectively. No, no, don't worry. I'm, I think you know, I got all the tears out. I don't think it, I have anything it, left for now. <laughs> you know, child of immigrants, like, you kind of made yeah. something of yourself, and it's amazing. Mm. And but there are all kinds of other things like you know like it, you don't want to sound like an ungrateful little bitch but like you get to be an ungrateful little bitch from time to time. Mm. Mm. And so I think yeah. what you're doing is rejecting that part of you, mm. like in a weird way. Like you're like you're not going to be that kid that you mm. probably felt like. Like like you you don't want to let yourself and we see it poking through like how did you feel when you had no one to call at basic training? I think I, I took notice of it, but I think I just tried to shut it down. So I'm like, there it is. It is. What it is. Right, right, right. It is what yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's probably like a survival tool that probably outlived its um use. You know, because I think in short periods and in times of like difficulty, I think it's important to have those. But I think now and especially where I'm at and I have time to spend with my thoughts and my ideas, that's like Oh, I don't need that, but I still operate underneath that mode. And uh, that's, I think, yeah. I mean, you keep on going on that track and we'll be switching seats real soon. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, oh, yeah. Because, Abba, you're spot on that, like, that was adaptive. And mm. now it's maladaptive. Mm. Mm. Right? Which is exactly what you just explained. You've understood Imagine that. 
Huh? Yeah, it just reminds me of like those like those stories about like those old war robots who are like commissioned for one function and the war ends and like they have to find meaning. Right? It made yep. me think of that. Yeah, that's exactly where you are. I think it's a beautiful analogy. Hmm. Cause your hmm. life has been a war, bro. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably, I probably wins on the inside trying to be that dramatic, but I get what you're saying. I, I also think the other part of it is like there's a fear of there, not knowing. Yeah, like it's, there's a fear of not knowing who's going to be on that other side or what they look like. Because, you know, you're used to you're, you're comfortable in what you know. So if, if what you know is conflict or what you know is just like this adapt, you know, 100 percent, just try to adapt to every situation irrespective of like your inner state. Um, then the, the other side of that, it's like, a, uh, I guess, a sense of new discovery. So I think that's frightening as well. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. And, and maybe there's just certain aspects of that that I need to shed, I suppose. Yeah. I, well done, sir. Easy. Making my job easy. Doing all the heavy lifting. Out. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know what I mean? Just a couple of those nuggets of information. I'm like, okay, now I can see the painting yeah. a little bit better. Yeah. Like I said yeah. at the beginning, you're thoughtful. Mm. So you're mm. right that what you need now is courage. The war, the, the war robots is just a fucking brilliant analogy, dude. Because mm. what, is, what is the role that you have? Right. And like, I think it all is like ties together because what you're saying to me is that you've built a life where your anger is shoved into the basement. You've built a life where like these feelings that have been destructive in the past, you haven't really, I mean, you sort of conquered them, but you sealed it away. Hmm. And now what I'm asking you to do is like open it up again. And you're like, fuck. Yeah. What if everything comes? And so this is where, like, you got to have faith in yourself and you ha got to have courage that, like, you can't, you're not going to be able to mourn as long as you have, you know, deep emotions about yourself walled off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And very practically about your dad, I, I just revisit. I think part of the reason that you're not done mourning yet is because you got to mourn when he's alive. <laughs> I, th I yeah. think you've probably done enough about when he's passed away. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to, you know, think and like talk to your brother and maybe see a therapist or, or do a lot of soul searching or just turn that noggin on, on top of your shoulders to this problem. And I mm -hmm. think you'll get really far really fast. Okay. It's a lot to think about. That's good. Yeah. So just quickly about mentorship. Yes, sorry. sorry. Nope. I think it's, I don't think, if it's okay with you, I don't think we need to dive into it. I don't think mentorship is like, I think it's like a, sorry for being judgmental here, but I think it's like a late manifestation of like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I think as you start to explore, I mean, just to put it simply, I don't know if this is going to make sense or not, but like. You know, I think it's good that you already tied together mentorship with like loss of a loved one. But I, I think it goes back to, you know, even before your dad passed away, I think it goes back to basic training. That story is powerful. And that, that story tells us a lot about your experience of life. Mm. Like when you don't have someone to call, right? Like you said to us, they had people to tell them to encourage them to push through. Mm -hmm. Right. They had people like father figures who were like, you can do it, bro. I have faith right. in you. 
And so I think the mentorship conversation is about like, you know, finding someone who can, but I, I mean, I, th I think you got to first sort of grapple with that loneliness. You got to grapple with like, there's a lot of concrete stuff about mentorship we could talk about, but I think at the end of the day, I mean, what I'm getting at is like, you're a dude who grew up alone. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very accurate. Right. And I mean, that is hard. You want to be grateful for that? No. Mm -hmm. Right. I'd say, like, do you feel alone now? And don't, mm -hmm. don't, don't answer with like whether you have friends or not. I'm asking you, do you feel alone? And also, be feeling alone doesn't have to feel bad. Mm. Do you feel alone? I don't feel alone, but I do feel like there's elements in my life that are missing that are really important. Yep. You know, and, and you don't, again, it's like one of those things. You don't know you need it until you, you see it, right? Uh, and I remember, you know, I have a friend of mine. She's a she's a work colleague, if you will. She's a comedian, and uh, she's older than I am in, in her late 40s. And uh, we've worked together on comedy shows, and she invited me over for a Thanksgiving dinner. So I went to her place and I remember just sitting at this like long table and there was like 20 people, right? Like all extended family, everyone's sitting, like everyone does a little prayer at the beginning and, and then they pass along the stuffing and, and the, the, the meats and stuff like that. And they're all talking to each other, you know, fairly cordially and, and not in a manner that's like, you have to keep up appearances. You can tell there's a general likeness between like most of the people conversing with each other. And I, and I just, I remember it so vividly. But I was just like, oh, this is how like a family's supposed to function if it's at its like, optimal. And I, I was like, I'm 27, and I and I'm just like realizing it. Like that, I never, we never had family dinners, you know. And it's just like the absence of things. Like you don't, I don't feel alone, but I also can't recognize the absence of something that I never had. And so it's hard to understand the weight and the impact of that. So maybe I, I feel more things than i realize it's just it, because it's my default it just seems like nothingness does that make sense yeah it makes perfect sense i love your robot analogy mm. you watch star trek uh you know who commander bit. data is uh is he does he work on board the starship enterprise yeah so he's like an android okay and like you remind me of data because you're kind of <laughs> like you're like a robot that's sitting at a thanksgiving table for the first time and you're like oh this is what normal humans are supposed to be like. Yeah. Right. And the interesting yeah. thing about data is that like, he doesn't wake up every day and like cry because he feels alone. He's just like, this is, you know, so I, I think Abba in a sense, like, I, I, look, I, don't get me wrong. You have a lot to be grateful for, mm -hmm. but I think you also like missed out on a lot, dude. Yeah. And I think you've got to acknowledge that. And you've got to say, like, it wasn't okay. And then you've got to start moving towards it. Mm. And I think some of that stuff is going to be, like, re-engaging re with your inner demons. But, like, you're not the teenager that you used to be. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, you're like a man grown now. Like, you're, you've gone through basic training. You're a comedian. You're a YouTuber. You have a successful professional career. You have a mm -hmm. better relationship with your emotions. You're a man that your dad would be proud of. Mm-hmm. And I have faith in you that, like, you can handle what's in that basement. Mm -hmm. Like, when you were 16 and living with your dad and full of resentment and, like, being a little bitch, 
Like, of course, anger got the best of you. But that's not the person that you are right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess it's, yeah, I guess it's the moving forward towards it part that I think I was missing for so long. But I think you kind of gave me tips on what that could look like for me. So I think. Yeah. So here's the last tip. Don't Mm -hmm. do it alone. Mm -hmm. I want you to stop being a pillar. Lean Mm -hmm. on someone. Let someone be there for you. Make that phone call because this time someone's going to answer. Now you have someone. I don't care who it is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are people in your life. Yeah. Yeah. We got people. Teach yourself how to not solve all your own problems. Hmm. Yeah. I'll do that. Thoughts, questions, reflections? Very insightful. Yeah, Looks like your hand great. is in. I'm, I'm seeing you focused. Yeah, I know. I feel like I got a couple <laughs> steps back. And, you know, these are all ideas that were floating, but now I can, like, I can put them on the, the, the canvas. And so it just, that was really good for me, I think, in that regards. Let yourself be helped. Let yourself be angry. Yeah. Let yourself be all the things that you've taught yourself to not be. Yeah. It's funny because just the thought of doing that makes me uncomfortable. But yep. uh, I think that's what, that's why I have to move towards it. So it's good. Yep. Good. Yeah. Man, Abby, you're, you're, you're special, dude. Really? <laughs> uh, thank you. I appreciate that. There you go. Learning how to take compliments, too. Yep. Mm. See, look, look at how thoughtful you are, how self-aware. Do you meditate? Not in the traditional sense, but I think I do just sit there with my thoughts a lot. Okay. You want to yeah. learn the traditional like sense? Um, sure. Yeah. You were saying something? Sorry. Uh, I was just saying, like, oftentimes, I, like, before I go to sleep, I'll just lay my bed and, and just sit with my thoughts for hours and, uh, I, like, write down ideas sometimes, and it's good. So that's like that's my version. But yeah, I'd love to learn your version. Yeah. So let me just explain just very quickly. So I think it's awesome that you do that, but that's not meditation. Okay. So meditation is the opposite of what you do, which is to sit with yourself without thoughts. Okay. So when you say, I sit with my thoughts, there's... The thoughts in the mind is the object, is the thing that you're sitting with. It's not the sitter. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I always wondered about that. Because I'm, I felt like if you can observe it, there must be some separation between you and it. Yep. Very good. And so, and so that's why I just always assumed that you're sitting with your thoughts. Yep. Or, or or your feelings, perhaps, sometimes. Yep. Yeah. So that still means that you are not your thoughts or your feelings. Right. So I think the reason that you need to learn meditation mm-hmm. is because you need to learn what that sitter is. Mm-hmm. And cultivate time with just the sitter. Mm-hmm. And the more that you cultivate time with just the sitter, then you have no reason to fear a particular emotion. 
right? So, so far your life, it's good. You've learned this distance on your own, but you've learned that you are not your thoughts or your feelings. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what happens is your feelings become you. So there are times where anger takes control and then the sitter disappears. You're not sitting with your anger anymore. You're one with your anger. Does that make sense? It's okay yes. if it doesn't. Okay. It, it makes sense conceptually. I think it's just in practice, but yeah. 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 So, so like practically what we're going to teach you how to do is teach you how to be the sitter. And then we're going to call up the anger and it won't sweep you away because that's what you're, I get the sense of what you're afraid of is that the anger is going to sweep you away if you let it out. Cause that's what it's mm. done in the past. Like you mentioned, mm. you've been like violent and stuff before. Mm-hmm. Right. So like in the same way as, as you become a trained sitter, you're going to learn how to like sit with that anger and like it won't sweep you away. Mm-hmm. And no. you'll just, it'll just be stuff that you think about or mm-hmm. feel. So I, I want to say, I think you're going to be gifted at meditation, but I don't want to set an expectation for you. So let me say, rather than gifted... I think that you will really, really appreciate what a meditative tradition has to offer. Mm-hmm. Because some of the observations, like, I don't know how to say this, Abba, and I don't know if this is going to make sense, but, you know, there aren't many people like you. Do you feel that way? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. So here's the thing. If you want to find people like you, learn to meditate. Hmm. Because there are going to be more people who like kind of operate like sort of like you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's hard. So let me just teach you some. Any questions, thoughts about that? No. No. Karen. Okay. Mm, let me think. What am I going to teach you? You have a drink. You have a beverage, right? Yeah, uh, some water. Do you have any other beverages that you're open to consuming? I I only drink water. That's it. Okay. I'm pretty boring. No, that's that's fine. Just thinking. Okay. This is going to sound kind of weird. Okay, so I've got like a formal technique that I'm going to teach you, but I don't feel like doing that. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, we're, we're going to try something. It's probably going to fail catastrophically. And then we'll mm-hmm. resort to the formal technique, which is fine. Okay, because we've okay. got we to be okay with failing catastrophically. I want you to close your eyes. Okay, just like, this is going to sound weird, but just notice your existence. Right, so like, how do you know that you exist? You can answer. It's a question. Mm -hmm. It's not rhetorical. You can take your time. My ability to observe. Okay. Excellent. See, that's the right answer. Okay. So then what is, what is it that you're observing? Mm. 
darkness sound. Okay. So oh, who is I... it that's that's doing the observation? I feel like there's like a supercomputer in the back and it's just utilizing its tools. Okay. So the supercomputer. That's a good answer too. So tell me tell me about the supercomputer. What's the does the supercomputer have a name? No. Good. Right again. I haven't asked it its name. <laughs> okay, so if you if you ask it its name, who is the you and what is the it? I constantly feel like there's a supercomputer utilizing all these tools, and then it relates the information to. Yep. Me. Very good. So it's supercomputers all the way back. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Exactly. Okay. So then, is the so is the supercomputer a man? It's gonna sound weird to me. It's just like it's just nothingness. It's like this darkness. That's all. Good. That's all right. Good. So now we're gonna teach you something, right? So like, will the supercomputer be bothered by your anger? No. Will it be bothered by your resentment? No. Does the supercomputer miss your dad? No. When I ask you about your dad, do you lose the supercomputer? No. I feel like it, it, its work is harder, but I don't lose Good. it. Good. Excellent. Man. Yeah, Abba, you got to do this shit, bro. So... Now all we're going to do, so this is the, so basically the point of meditation is to like sit with just the supercomputer. So now we're going to do something a little bit different. So all we need to do is focus one of our indriyas or sense organs on anything. And what we want to do, so open your eyes. Hold on one second. Yep, I can see it. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. I just want you to look at it. Okay, you can blink and stuff, no big deal. Just look at sort of the center. And I want you to notice, now this is where things get hard, okay? I want you to look at it and notice that you can see it, but seeing is a sense organ. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you can, you can look at the thing. Mm. Now what I want you to try to do is have the supercomputer look at the looking. So can you observe that you are looking at something? And that there is a capacity of looking. Yes. And make, make the looking the object of what you are seeing. And so in a sense, you can even look at something else. So like you can look at different parts of the image and notice that like, okay, there's a triangle in the middle. So right now I'm looking at the triangle and then I'm looking at the petals. 
But irrespective of what I'm looking at, there is some kind of looking going on, and I can just watch the looking. Does that make sense? Is it possible that this kind of exercise is harder with your eyes open? Uh, the reason, the reason why yes. I ask, um, the only reason why I ask is because when you had told me earlier to focus on one thing and you let the supercomputer kind of observe, I try to focus on what I was feeling. And I don't know, this is kind of weird, but I felt like the supercomputer was just looking at fire and the fly, fire was building. And I felt like I was kind of observing from outside manifestation. Does that make sense? Yes. Good. So then do that. Okay. Yeah. So all you need to do is just observe the fire. Do whatever the fuck you were doing. Whatever you're doing is right. At some okay. point, okay. you may want or need an alumbana. Alumbana mm -hmm. means support or object of meditation. But I think for now, this is fine. Mm-hmm. So here's the main takeaway. So the reason that you need to meditate is because meditation is the process through which the supercomputer, your understanding and relationship with the super supercomputer grows over time. Mm -hmm. And then when you become enlightenment, all you are is the supercomputer 100% of the time. That is what enlightenment mm -hmm. is. Okay. And so then like there is no happiness or sadness and all things are equal. Hmm. So very practically, what I'd say is if you see a therapist, what I want you to do is in the back of your mind, watch the supercomputer and let okay. the supercomputer, all these emotions and regrets and things that you don't want to feel, as long as you are secure in the chair of the supercomputer, none of those things will touch you and you can let it all out. Hmm. It is when it becomes difficult to be the supercomputer. Hmm. That's what you need training for. So the closer you get to the, the greater the emotional energy, the, the more faded the supercomputer will feel. Mm -hmm. And through training, you can strengthen that. Okay. And at some point, I think you should probably learn like formal meditation, like maybe when COVID blows over and stuff like that, like go to a class. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, if you sit with your supercomputer, that's the most important thing. Okay. Yeah. Thoughts? Questions? Mm. I'm just grateful. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. You, create a, you created a great space for people to um, be brave and to, you know, showcase that in front of other folks and um i think i mean i'm sure you're told how conducive and and how how wonderful it is but for me it's um even just having like witnessed some other streams i thought it was um wonderful so thank you for that you're very welcome so i have a weird response to that Let me think about how to say this. So I appreciate your appreciation, but I do not accept your gratitude. 
Mm. Because what you need to really understand, Abba, is that you were owed this. This is what you were entitled to. This is a part of the everything that you deserve. So people come to me and they say, oh, thank you for doing all this. You guys don't understand. Mm -hmm. I'm doing nothing for you that deserves gratitude. Like, not towards me. Like, this is part of what you're owed, bro. Mm. You draw short straws in life. And you get some long straws in life. I'm one of the long straws. I want you to, as best as you can, accept that this is just a part of what you're given. And you can be grateful for that in a general sense. Mm -hmm. But don't thank me. I understand the point about the long straws, but I, I also have to respect the fact that there's a manifestation of choice to be that long straw. You know, sure. it's not like in your absence, somebody else may have failed the void. I mean, that's wishful thinking, but it's not it's not guaranteed. And so I think there has to be some measure of gratitude for the idea that you chose to be in that position to be able to help folks. Was I owed this? I'll agree. But. Ah, well, well played, sir. That is the one piece of gratitude I'm willing to accept. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree I that spaces should. like this should be here. I 100% agree with that, and I think yeah. everyone should be owed that. But I think there there should be some idea of, like, I commend you for being the person who chooses to be that long straw for people. Yeah, I, that, that, I can, that, I, that I can accept. That's what I have to accept. Good, yeah, I'm glad. Despite you, you, my desire not to. You found the one chink <laughs> in my armor, sir. I, okay, I commend good. you. All right, I'm, I'm flattered. I'm going to take that to my Discord and be like, I got him, guys. Yeah, so, you got me. Got me in more ways than one, Appa. <laughs> Well, listen. I'm. Uh, if if it if it was good for you, then I'm also happy about that. Um, it's great for yeah. me. I'll have to tell. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was great. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, you're very welcome, dude. So, listen. Good luck to you. Keep us posted. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, if you stumble or anything like that, feel free to reach out again. Okay. Um, I I may just if it's okay with you, I may think about you a little bit after we're done. Oh no no, it's not. I have had it and talked to the people and. Uh, yeah, I'm just grateful that you guys uh, let me come on to talk with you. So thank you. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for coming on. Do you want to just tell us real quick for people who joined late where they can find you? and? Yeah, yeah. On YouTube, kind of work you, you can do? go to Abba and Preach. And uh, I don't do nearly as much uh, crying uh, on there, but it's still pretty insightful <laughs> stuff, I hope. And um, yeah, if you go on YouTube and you search Abba, A-B-A, and Preach, you know, three separate words, um, you'll find us. Okay, cool. Take care, man. Yeah. Cheers.